You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. If you have your scripture today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're talking about dreaming again. This is the message for you today. God wants you to dream again. Some of you are living in a dream. Some of you are on mission. Some of you have vision. Some of you know exactly where you are and why you are where you are and what God has for you where you are and you are going. But a lot of us in the gathering today feel like somehow life has moved on and the dream has died. And God wants to restore that today. We were reading that in Psalm 126. One of the psalms of remembering, one of the psalms that a pilgrim would pray on their way up the steps to worship in Jerusalem, reminding themselves of the faithfulness of God. This particular song or psalm is about when God restored his people from bondage and slavery to return them to Jerusalem, to the place of worship and to the vision, to the purpose that he had called them for. And they're remembering that God did that. They were in Babylon, but now they're home. They're in Jerusalem. They're on the steps. They're going to worship. God's plan now is visible to them again. And so this is their song on the way to worship God. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. We were like people who dreamed. And we're going to unpack what that means exactly to dream. But they had seen God work. And so here's the story. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Just to speed up a little bit to what God wants to communicate today, there's going to be a time and a day in your life when the people around you look at your life and say, no way. Look what God has done. This story looked like it was over. This dream looked like it was buried. But God, God was still in the story. And in the same way, the people around you are going to say, look what God has done. And then they said it about themselves. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Is there anybody in this room today that believes that, that no matter what part of the story you're in right now, there's going to be a moment in the story where you can say, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. They prayed, restore our fortunes. O Lord, like streams in the Negev, because those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. This is God's word today for someone in this gathering who's sowing right now tears. There's going to be a day when the tears bring a harvest and the harvest is going to be a song of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is God's promise today. You can dream again. The word dream here is interesting. 
Uh, There are places in Scripture where God literally gives dreams, 21 of them to be precise, in all of Scripture where someone falls asleep, God gives them a dream, they wake up, they understand and process what God has said to them while they were asleep, and then they walk into what God spoke for, over, and through their lives. But this particular connotation of the word dream isn't one of those. It's not falling asleep and then God speaking in the night or during the time that you were asleep. This dream is a broader dream. It's, it, the word in Hebrew means health. It means to be restored. It means to be uh, full of vitality, full of life. It means wholeness again. So the picture is we were shattered, but now we're back. We, we were done and finished, but now we're back. Look at us. We have strength. We have vitality. We have health. We have wholeness. We have been brought back from captivity, and now here we are on our way up to worship our God. And I'm just telling you, I don't know who you are. I don't know your story, but I know God has a message for somebody today. I've never been more confident preaching God's word than in these last two messages that God is dialing somebody's number right now. And what he's saying to you is, listen, I know it looks like devastation and I know your dream may look like it's been stolen, but I'm still God and I am still in charge and I still bring help back to people. And I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to bring you back to Zion. And the people are going to say the ones that ridiculed you, that wrote you off, that counted you out, that humiliated you, that made fun of you and, and, and used you as a laughing stock. They're all going to say, what, the world, what in the world happened? And you're going to say, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. This is God's purpose for your life. The enemy also has a purpose for your life. And it's super clear. Jesus just shrunk it down to this phrase. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the first thing he wants to steal from you is your dream. More specifically, God's dream for you. And he wants to extract out of your life the purpose for which God created your life. So that yes, you do live out 30, 50, 60, 87 years, but without purpose, without direction, without urgency, without a sense of mission, without a sense of eternity in your story. And God is saying, if he's the thief of dreams, I want you to know today that the thief of dreams has died because I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And yes, he's trying to steal them, but I'm here to let you know that I am greater than the thief of dreams and I can resurrect dreams in this moment. What steals our dreams? I, just, a lot of things, but I just listed a few things that steal our dreams away. One, one of them is delay. Didn't happen fast enough, so we just thought God was in the story, and our dream sort of evaporated. Betrayal. Somebody turns out to be different than the person you thought them to be, and a dream died. False accusation can steal a dream. Getting overlooked, jealousy can steal a dream. Being humiliated because of your failure, somebody else's situation, or something that happened to you can steal a dream. Exasperation steals a lot of dreams. People just say, you know what? I'm just giving up. God had a purpose for you. He spoke to you. He spoke over you. He designed you, and then he put something inside of you, but at some point, it just either took too long, or it was too hard, or you, you, you just lost the plot, and you just threw your hands up and said, you know what? I'm done. 
And just out of exasperation, this God dream that was on and over your life seemed to pass away. Revenge can steal a dream. Success can steal a dream. All of a sudden, God puts something on you and you forget that it wasn't about you. It was really about God. And then you started taking ownership of the dream that God put in your life. And that dream went away. Pain can kill a dream, steal a dream. Comparison can steal a dream. We're so focused on somebody else's dream and what God's doing in somebody else's story that it steals away the, the very dream that God had put on our life and in our story. And death can steal a dream. I'm not talking about the death of a vision, which is true of any pioneer. You're gonna experience multiple deaths in any vision that you have that's worth anything at all. But I'm talking about death itself can steal a dream. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have life to the full. What is he saying? I've come that you can stand in Zion and be whole again. One of those 21 dreams belonged to a 17-year-old boy named Joseph. If you've been around church, you know his story. If you haven't been around church, you're gonna be floored at this story. Joseph had a dream. As a teenager, he had a dream. He was one of a bunch of brothers, loved by his father, had an incredible dream. We find it in Genesis 37, and there are a few things that God wants to extract out of the story of Joseph's dream, and he wants to inject them into the story of your dream today. I want you to see how this opens up and how it unfolds in verse three. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And then if you'll drop down just to verse five, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They already were jealous of him and hated him because he was the favorite son, but now they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, this is not the dream you probably want to tell your brothers about. And his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Now, this is their little brother. And they're like, seriously? Uh, okay, great. Sounds, uh, sounds interesting. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, this is not really a part of the message today, but if God reveals to you a big dream and purpose for your life, you can count on the fact that somebody's going to hate you for that dream. It's just the way it works in life. When God puts an anointing on you, when he calls you out and sets you on a path and on a course, it is certain that there's going to be opposition to that and it's going to come through people. And hello, this is another message for another day. It's probably going to come through some people that are real close to you and maybe from some people in your own family. It's just kind of the way it works. Not all the time. But that's how it worked for Joseph. And then notice what happened. He had another dream. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. Like, I think I would have learned by the first dream. Okay, I'm going to just keep, you know, this other one under, under wraps. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? 
Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Another message for another day. Sometimes when God gives you a dream, just keep it to yourself. (laughs) But in God's sovereignty, he needed Joseph to tell the family the dream. Because in telling them the dream and getting the reaction that he got from them, it actually set in motion God's sovereign plan to fulfill the dream. Telling you, if God isn't saying anything else to you today, he wants to say to you today, I am still running the universe. I'm still in charge. I'm still God in heaven. Well, we know if God gives dreams, the enemy wants to steal dreams. And that happened to Joseph pretty fast. His father sent him out where his brothers were taking care of the flocks. And you can kind of pick the story up over in verse 16. Uh, He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me uh, where they're grazing their flocks? Uh, They've moved on from here, uh, the man said. I I heard him say, "Uh, let's go to Dothan. So apparently they'd gone to Alabama and (laughs) lower Alabama. So Joseph, somebody else watching the world, they're like, I don't know, Google it, you'll you'll get it. It's a thing. Um, So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I wonder if the enemy's spoken that to anybody in this room. Oh, here comes the dreamer. Hmm. Let's kill him and throw him in a pit. And then let's see what becomes of their dreams. Well, let's see what became of Joseph's dreams. A few things I want to extract from the story. Number one, the dream might be clear in the moment, but the dream often is going to find its fulfillment in time. So Joseph didn't wake up the next day after he had both of these dreams and have his mom, dad, and brothers bow down to him. Instead, uh, some time passed. He went out to find his brothers uh, with the flock, and they, in their jealousy and anger toward him, plotted to kill him, and the story just went off the rails right there. Dream, but dreams often take time to be fulfilled. In Joseph's story, just to remind us all who've been around church, and we know this whole story all the way down to our youth and, you know, the flannel board days, if you're my age, but a lot of you just coming into the picture that the brothers uh, were going to kill him right on the spot. But all of a sudden, some gypsies came along who were headed to Egypt. 
And when these gypsies came by, the brothers kind of thought, well, we could do this, but one of them wanted to have mercy. And they said, look, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him to the gypsies. And so they did. They sold him to these gypsies that are traveling to Egypt. And you're like, man, all of a sudden, dream, Hugh's dream. God's in the story. God's speaking. God's touching. God's calling. And the next thing you know, he, he's looking as the caravan is driving off and seeing his brothers back in the distance. And he, he's on his way to Egypt. And you're like, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened, just a little you know, insight into the story. This story has its fulfillment in Egypt. So I need, God is thinking, to get Joseph to Egypt. So he's not going in a cistern. He's not dying in that pit. He's going with those gypsies because I got a purpose and a plan, and the purpose and the plan is in Egypt. Oh, happened to have some gypsies coming by going to Egypt. Now, that's not clapworthy. I don't know. I'm not sure why people are clapping. But if you're in a caravan going to Egypt today, don't clap for that. Just be encouraged that God's still in the story. They get to Egypt and they sell Joseph into slavery into the household of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a very powerful man in Egypt. And he recognizes immediately that Joseph has got something special in his life. That's interesting because usually when you arrive at Potiphar's house at this stage in the story, you are bitter, you are angry, you are revengeful, you are mad, and you are not going to display anything close to honor. But somehow Joseph had managed in the process of not getting thrown in the pit, getting sold to the gypsies, now getting sold to Potiphar, somehow he'd managed to keep his feet anchored in the fact that God gave him a dream. Potiphar said, you're in charge of everything. And he was. Potiphar had left the house. Potiphar's wife made a move on Joseph. Joseph said to himself, I'm in charge of everything Potiphar has except you. And there is no way I'm gonna, I'm gonna betray all that trust and, and throw away my character and get caught up in this moment. And he ran away from Potiphar's wife. She grabbed his robe, ripped some of that off of him with scorn because she was rejected, accused him of assaulting her. Potiphar comes home, it's a mess. But he was honorable. He was so honorable that Potiphar didn't have him killed on the spot. He put him in prison. That's how you know that Potiphar knew that Joseph was telling the truth because he went to prison and not into a grave. And when he got to prison, guess what Joseph did? He was honorable. He got put in charge of the whole prison. Now, not again, not clapworthy, but he didn't lose hope. He was still a dreamer and he was good with dreams. These two guys who were serving the Pharaoh, a cake maker and a cup bearer, got out of favor with Pharaoh. They got thrown in jail too. And they met Joseph and he said, what's y'all story? Well, we were right there serving Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world. But then all of a sudden we have did something offended him. And he said, get them out of here and dropped us down here to jail with you. Not too long after that, they both had dreams and they didn't know what the dreams meant. And Joseph was like, I'm good with dreams. I've been a dreamer for a long time now. Tell me the dreams. And they tell him the dreams. And he says, oh, wow, for you, the cake maker, it's not going to be good for you. Um, your days are numbered. 
Uh, Cupbearer, congratulations. You're going back into the good graces of Pharaoh. You're going to be serving at his table again. And that's exactly what happened. One of them and the other one of them right back into the good graces of the Pharaoh. And Joseph just said, hey, uh, to the cupbearer, to the cake maker, it didn't matter. You're, you're, you're out. But to the cupbearer, he said, when you get back, can you just remember me? Like put in a good word for me. Can you just speak up for me when you get back? And so it worked just like he said, and the cupbearer comes right back to serve Pharaoh. But then the last line of that chapter says, but he did not remember Joseph. And two years went by until Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh was perplexed by this dream. These seven amazingly healthy cows and seven terrible looking cows. These seven amazingly healthy uh, stalks of grain and these seven terrible looking ones. And he's like, this is important. And I don't know what it means. And he brought all the people around to help him with the dream. And nobody could help him. And then finally the cupbearer was like, oh, wow, the guy, the guy, yikes, the guy, Pharaoh, there's a guy. He's amazing with dreams. And Pharaoh said, get him. And they got Joseph out of the pit and brought him to the palace. A 17 year old kid with a dream now is 30 years old. Because most of the time, when God gives a dream, the dream is known in the moment, but its fulfillment is somewhere in the distance. The second thing God wants to extract is that most of the dreams are not dreamy. (laughs) You're like, what do you you mean? Uh, Well, A, um, we're on a broken, sin-riddled planet serving a good and gracious God who is sovereign over it all, who to save us sent his son into the sin-riddled world to become riddled by sin. And our entire story, what we're gonna celebrate coming in to Easter is that Jesus was crushed, crucified, dead, and buried. This is our story. His dream for saving humanity, his dream for making a way for all of us to be born again. It was not dreamy. It was hard, filled with sacrifice, ultimately filled with his death. Yes, and his resurrection, but we're in a battle, people. And if somehow we have sold a version of Christianity, which is too dreamy and too comfy, then we've sold the wrong version of Christianity. We're in a spiritual battle on a sin-riddled planet, serving a sovereign God, but he's asking you and me not to get comfortable. He's asking us to sacrifice our very lives for him, to join into this idea that God still has dreams and puts us in the story, has a dream and a plan for me, but the dream and a plan for me might not be all that dreamy. He doesn't want to make our lives miserable, but we are in a fight. I think one of the most powerful lines spoken at the Grove Conference, I've never heard anybody say anything like it before. Jackie Hill Perry's mentor was talking about discipling her, and she said at some point, some version, I'm I'm not going to quote it exactly right, but she said, I'll tell you one thing, all the gore and all the blood and all the mess of the story of God is right in plain sight in the Bible. God didn't hide all that and say, hey, come on with me. It's going to be an amazing life and it's going to be so fun and so cool and so, so easy. No, he just put all the blood and the guts and the gore right in the middle of it. And he said, die to yourself, die to little dreams, die to little earthly plans and join up with me. Take up your cross every single day 
die to yourself every single day, sacrifice earthly things for a greater good. And Joseph, gosh, he had such an amazing dream. And we're gonna see the fulfillment of it was beyond anything he could have ever imagined. But the process of it didn't turn out uh, to be too dreamy. It's, it's the good heart is what Catherine Wolf calls it. It's knowing that God's got a plan and a purpose, but it's gonna require everything I've got. I, mean, I, I was sitting on a plane, 1995, vision. I was awake for passion. But man, from 1995 to standing here today, so many people have sacrificed so much to see God bring that vision to pass. The third thing that God wants to extract is that it's never too late to dream again. It's never too late. I love this passage. Um, this whole story is amazing, but this particular part of it in chapter 41, it says in verse one, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. And so now the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And so look what happens in verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, that's a word for somebody, by the way. You are gonna, and I, I don't mean necessarily somebody just looked down the road with their son and said, praise God, I've been believing for it and uh, maybe today's the day. No, in the beauty of what that means, somebody in this gathering is gonna shave and change your clothes. God is gonna bring you out and when he does, your very appearance is gonna change. But look how he did it. It says, he sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. You know, quickly as in uh, 13 years worth. And two years since he got forgotten by the cupbearer. But quickly, when it was God's time to fulfill God's dream that he had put in Joseph's life, bam just like that, out of the dungeon to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, here's my dream. And he says, can you help me? And look what Joseph says in verse 16. I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I, I, I'm just mystified that, that when he came out of the dungeon and now he's standing before the most powerful man on earth that his first words wasn't, that cupbearer right there, that joker told me that he was gonna remember me when he got back up here and he only got back up here because I interpreted the dream right. He forgot me. You gotta get rid of this guy. You gotta get a new cupbearer. This guy hosed me. I've been down in a prison, by the way, for two years because of him, just because he forgot me. Oh, he remembered me now. Look, now, oh, I remember the guy now. But where was he two years ago when he told me he was gonna remember me? And I've been in his jail for a while. You know Potiphar, right, one of your servants? Well, his wife, she hosed me also. I have a history of being hosed, and I wanna go on record today while I'm here, before we get into whatever all this is gonna be about, to just let you know a few things about my story. No, he, he came in shaved and in clean clothes, and it, the first thing he said out of his mouth was, I can't help you, but God can. How did he maintain that kind of nobility and character through 13 years 
of the enemy every single day by jealousy, by pain, by hardship, by humiliation, exasperation, betrayal, delay, separation, comparison, death. Every day the enemy was trying to steal that dream. But yet somehow now he stood before Pharaoh and he was still a dreamer. And Pharaoh, when he heard the dream, gonna be seven great years and seven terrible years. We gotta get ready here and we gotta make the right decisions in the seven great years so that we'll have plenty in the seven lean years. And Pharaoh got it. He realized this guy's, he's the guy. And this is what he says about him in verse 39. He said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way. Of course they did. Because God was making a way the whole time. And it took 13 years for people to figure out what God was doing the whole time. But when God revealed it all and made it clear. Men said what God had been saying at the pit with the gypsies on the auction block in Potiphar's house, in the jail, in the dungeon forgotten. God had been saying every single day, make way. This is my guy. This guy's got my plan. This guy has a dream. This guy is in my story. Make way. And can I just speak that over you today? God is making a way for you. Even today. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. It is not too late for you. And that is not hype. That is not church talk. That is not preacher talk. I'll just bring the tone down as low as I can. It is not too late for you. You, you can go from the prison to the palace in one sudden move. I always have said that God doesn't take sides in sports. So if you're out there praying for your team, you can just forget that. Because there's somebody else praying for the other team. <laughs> no kidding. I at, at one time did a major league baseball chapel for both the home team and the visiting team on the same day, 15 minutes apart. And at the end of the game in the ninth inning, the leader of the chapel of one team was pitching in the bottom of the ninth to the leader of the chapel on the other team. I was like, I don't know. Some good brother is going to go home sad. <laughs> and so I don't pray, you know, for God to make one team win or lose, except one time. <laughs> and there was a time when Auburn was playing Georgia. 
in Jordan-Hare Stadium. It was our miracle season. We'd already had a crazy last second victory. We were about to have the kick six. Those were just great plays by people, by the way. This thing at the Georgia game was the hand of Almighty God. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Remember the prayer at Jordan-Hare? Auburn quarterback chunks his ball as far as he can. It's nowhere near the receiver. There's two defenders in the way, but somehow it bounces off one of them, bounces over their head and lands in the hands of the receiver, running down the field, runs into the end zone. And I just went, praise God. <laughs> and the night before at chapel, I had taught this passage. And I said, guys, I'm telling you, God can take you from the pit to the palace in one fell swoop. You're not buying it yet, I know, but we're, <laughs> we're walking off the field and one of our coaches has his arm around me and he said, praise God. He goes, he did it. From the pit to the palace, <laughs> praise God. And we did, we both just praised God right there. It was the one time in sports where God actually intervened in a game and did a miracle. It's one of the last miracles that happened in, in Auburn football. Um, we've been in a little bit of a low and on a journey down into Egypt, but God's still got a dream. He can take you so fast. And you may be down to, just down to nothing. But God is an amazing way of taking nothing and making something. Last thing, extract really quickly. The dream might involve you, but the dream that God has for your life isn't all about you. Now, now that runs contrary to everything else we're gonna hear in this world. You know, get your, get your dream, go after your destiny, fulfill your calling, move into your future. Listen, there's only one future and it's God's future. There is only one story going on and it's God's story. There is only one glory happening on earth right now and it is God's glory. And the beauty of it isn't me actualizing my dream for my destiny. The beauty is me realizing God has put a dream in me for His glory. And it might involve me, but it's not about me. And it's not all for me. And Joseph got it. He understood something that has become one of the most powerful and most famous, most quoted verses in all the Bible. He realized at the end of the day that when Pharaoh put him in charge, yes, there were seven years of plenty. And so they stored up all the crops. They took a portion of everybody's crop and brought it into the barns of Egypt. So in the seven years that there was no food to eat, Egypt had food not only to feed Egypt, but now people are coming from the surrounding nations like his brothers and his family who are dying of starvation. Now they're coming to Egypt because they heard there's food in Egypt. They don't know. The kid they sold to the gypsies is running it all. 
They haven't heard make way yet. But they know there's food there. And as it turns out at the end of the day, they did come and bow down to Joseph. They did bring dad. And they all bowed down. Just like the dream. But when dad died, after a couple of years of them being in Egypt, they thought, man, Joseph's right now. He's going to all this is coming back on us. All the revenge and all the humiliation he went through and all the repressed anger, that's all coming back now. And they went to him and they said, we are so, so, so sorry. And I know dad's gone, but please have mercy on us. And this is what he said to them. He said, don't be afraid. This is the end of Genesis 50. I am in God's place. You didn't put me here. God put me here. God was working on this dream the whole time. I am in God's place. And then this is what we quote so often. Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. Not, not a period there. Most, most people who quote the Bible, that's all they know about that verse. That, that is not the most important part of that verse. The, the next line is the money. What you meant for evil, God intended for good, comma, for the saving of many lives. The dream that God has for you is for the saving of many people. And if your dream doesn't involve a lot of people coming into life and health and into their own dreams, then you don't have a God dream. Because God's dream always terminates with other people coming to awaken to the fact that he wants to bring them back to Zion and put a new song in their mouths to say, look what the Lord has done. He has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. At the end of this, he says to his brothers, you don't have to be afraid because this whole setup of God is not just for you to save your life, but it's also to save your kids' lives. And, and he lived to be 110 years old, Joseph did. And it says at the end of his life that the, the latter generations that came and sat on his knee. In other words, this dream, this vision, this God story that he was in wasn't for him, wasn't even for his brothers. It was for their children and their children and their children. It was for the generations to come. And God isn't just looking at you and saying, I have a dream for you today. He's looking at you today and saying, I have a dream for the generations to come through you. And he wants to put that in somebody's heart today. I don't know what the circumstances are speaking over you, but I know what God is speaking over you today. I believe that he is saying to you today, I have a dream. And in it, you are healthy and whole. And you are going to be a blessing that leaves a legacy for the generations to come. The thief of dreams came 
but the thief of dreams has died. And Jesus is greater. I have a dream for you, God is saying. And in that dream, you are healthy and you are whole and you are a blessing, leaving a legacy for the generations to come. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.